there. Welcome to a rainy Monday in Southern California. And welcome to the first episode of Sounds Curious Podcast, the podcast dedicated to adventurous listening. So today in the rain and the wind of El Nino, we are going to talk to composer and musicologist Alfred Sarayan. He is a Los Angeles-based composer of contemporary classical music and also a great lover of film music. So we're going to be talking today about his music and film music in general. And in part two of this episode, which is going to go out into the feed next week, um, we are going to feature his discussion on the music of Star Wars. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be a very lively discussion. He is currently working on a book on the music of Star Wars and uh i love it when the thunder comes in so welcome back if you made it through part one of our pilot episode which was all about my music then you know who i am i'm banshee of the banshee media podcast network and we are dedicated to bringing you lots and lots of excellent sounds from all over the world and interesting conversations with people who make sounds. So today, composer Alfred Sarayan, you just heard a little excerpt from his string quartet, and we're going to be featuring his tracks on the podcast webpage, which is over at www.bansheemedia.com. And if you scroll down, you see the podcast network there. So without further ado, let's return to the music and to the conversation with Alfred Sarayan. As always, if you're interested in hearing more about any of the composers, field recording artists, environmental recordists, sound artists, or other interesting folks we feature on the podcast, all of that can be found in the show notes for the Sounds Curious podcast over at www.bansheemedia.com. Okay, I, I want to say this in such a way that it comes out as the compliment that it is on the first try. Um, okay. When I listen to your music, I hear there's, you know, influences of a bit of Russian, but your orchestration, your use of melodies, your use of harmonies is all very much late German romanticism filtered through Hollywood and then sort of orchestrated by the people who did Star Trek. <laughs> well, you know, that is my influence. Exactly. You know, and it's that's my background. You know, you know, it's really interesting that you said that, Renee, because um, back, you know, my string quartet that I sent you, uh, that was recorded by the Armadillo uh, Quartet uh, back at uh, Claremont. And after we recorded it, and I actually edited it myself. 
And yeah. I put it together. Yeah, because of, you know, it's part of the the whole graduate program and everything to working with Pro Tools and everything, blah, 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 which is why I got the job at AI and blah, 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 and stuff like that. But um, one of my classmates started listening to my music, not at that recording, but later on when it was performed. And, oh, he, goes, right. and he goes, you know, at first glance, your music sounds like cheesy film music. Look at your eyes. <laughs> for those of us who love cheesy female it's like, music. Excuse me? I know. It's cheesy film music? It's like, no, it is inspired by film music, and film music is not cheesy whatsoever. And, oh my God, if he said that in front of Peter Boyer, ooh. Thank you. That's not. Uh, Our teacher, you know? Yeah, that's, that's uh, a very limited view of music. You know, and I'm getting really. I'm really like like really not happy as to how people are constantly putting down film music when it is a huge part of our culture. It's a whole big genre of its own that sprang from Eurocentric late 19th century music because of uh, Max Steiner and then Korngold. Uh, these people are European backgrounds of that nature. And that is our tradition, a part of who we are. So I don't know why people say it's cheesy. They're only saying it's cheesy because of there's this academic division between, you know, concert music and film music when it's all the same. If you look at it, it's exactly the same. And in fact, when I listen to it, the Star Trek influences, I hear your Star Trek influences Star Trek or Star Wars? No, actually, I hear Star Trek in your orchestration, really? but it's filtered through Aaron Copeland's kind of open pentatonicism and open fifths. It's got flavors of very complex late German romanticism, but then this kind of open American simplicity and resolution that implies a kind of inherent hopefulness to American music that I think people make uh, a bit of an assumption or are dismissive of, but I think it's genius. Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, I think where my whole American sound comes from is the fact that I did study with Peter Boyer, who is an Americana. I mean, I, I think you've heard his music too. Um, he's, well, he's basically, <laughs> he's basically, uh, Aaron Copeland and Benjamin Britten combined together. But there's a lot of Americana in his music. And, you know, studying with him for that time period during my doctoral program really infused that into my music. And it was an important step in my music because of um, I really wanted to infuse that along with my Bartokian background. Very much so. And I'm glad you bring up Bartok because there's a certain moment, I think, that, and Bartok captures it as well, where there is a kind of, I mean, I think of Verez in this moment too. And I'm glad we kind of bring in a little French too, because I think there's a taste of French orchestration in your music. And certainly that will be important as we move, the Europeanness of all of this will be really important when we move on to our discussion of music of Star Wars. And certainly the the relationship of film, music, storytelling, mythology, and 
how we express ourselves as a culture, because I think this really gets to the heart of something even deeper than Star Wars and even deeper than film culture, I think, is just the human desire to create a rich tapestry of experience and communicate that. And film is a fundamental mode of communication now. So everybody who dismisses film music, you know, go listen to another show. Um, we, <laughs> we're, right. we're really, we, right. we love it here. I mean, this is the 21st century and this is what we do. Um, but anyway, I want to get back to this because um, I think that the sort of, the 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 way that we filter our Europeanness through a distinct Americanness when we're talking about science fiction, I think does really apply. I think it's a way that science fiction in general has influenced your music. So it's funny that we can hear sort of the Europeanness of your training and your background, and also uh, orchestral music in general in the 20th century. When we look and see that the vast majority of it is done for film. I mean. Yes, people are still going to concerts, but more people are going to movies. Right. Now, there's one thing that came to mind that's really important uh, to let people know. Um, you know this, of course, is that film music is not the modern classical music. And there are people think it is. No, it's not. It is actually yeah. Yeah. a genre. It's a, it's a genre right of its own. You know, like I just um, I just recently scored a short film and the director, who is a friend of mine, who just does not believe me on this. I go, Tim, listen, look, it's out there. They're different. They're both genres of their own right related with each other. Anyway, getting back to you. So you as a composer who was trained very much in a classical tradition and yet grew up as I did and a lot of us did so profoundly steeped in televisual media. Um, and that is television and film and, and yes, YouTube and everything that we're streaming now. That's all part of televisual media. So how do you think those two incubated with you? I mean, I've said a few things about how I think things have been filtered through televisual media for you. And I certainly see it in my own work, but I'm curious to know how that developed for you. And of course your pieces are going to be available so people can take a break now and listen to your classical pieces if they want to and come back to this discussion and listen to what you have to say about <laughs> right. them. But anyway, pray continue. Well, you know, um, honestly, yes, classical composers did, obviously play a big role in my training or my development because of when I was a little boy. My mother is the one, you know, I think I've mentioned this to you. Even though my mother is not a musician, my father, he used to play accordion and, you know, like a lot of members of my family, they have played musical instruments, but I'm the one that became the professional musician out of everybody. And of course, my cousins call me boss because of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, stop calling me boss. I'm still your cousin. But anyways, uh, when I was a little boy, uh, my mother, who is an opera buff, I mean, she knows every opera out there. Those are special people. We love <laughs> those people. This, she's got this book of librettos and stories of operas in Turkish. And this is like her, well, you know, because it was in Turkey. And this is like, this is like her gem. But when I was a little boy, uh, she always talked about Mozart, Beethoven, this composer, that composer, Aaron Copeland, of course, too, because of Aaron Copeland was always her number one favorite. Wow. But, you know, the thing is, what really did it 
for me was, I will be honest with you, Star Wars, John Williams. Because 1977 rolled along and Star Wars came along, um, <laughs> uh, we walked into a Zodis, which is like a target of those days. And right there at by the front counters was the soundtrack to Star Wars. And I picked it up and I looked at it and I was looking at it. And then my mother goes, do you want it? I just... <laughs> Not in my head. I didn't say anything. I just nodded in my head. And she goes, okay, we'll put it into the cart. It was too big for words. (laughs) You know, I didn't say anything. She just put it into the cart. And of course, my dad didn't even know. He was like going, hmm, this is costing more than I thought. (laughs) Do we add more stuff? She goes, oh, (laughs) you know. No, those moments. And I think one of the things that having a recording of of the Star Wars, especially that especially the the with the preeminence of the music in in uh-huh. those early episodes uh-huh. it allowed us particularly those of us who went on to become composers um it allowed us to put ourselves in the movie i mean when you saw the movie you were caught up in their world and you were caught up in their stories uh-huh. but when you were home listening to the music that was when you made it your own right you see the thing is obviously in our days it was record players and we had all sorts of records constantly playing but the one thing that really got my mother and here's where classical music and film music really interrelate the one thing that she was able to help me absorb it is through star wars which is phenomenal we would sit down and, and i still have this record too we would go through the record cover everything pictures of john williams and everything she goes this is a fine composer Maybe you'll be like him one day. I mean, she just planted it in my head yeah. as a little kid that I was going to be a composer. Shout you know, out to moms. You know, the thing is, I basically forgot about music by the time I was in high school, and my music teacher stopped me in the hall. She goes, "You look like a musician." And brought me back in. You know, she's 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 the one who discovered me because by the time I was in high school, I didn't think that I wanted to do music as a profession anymore or sure. anything because it was in my head. You know, we right. we go through all sorts of professions as a child and everything, and I kept coming back to music, but I kept it as a secret part of me by the time I was in high school until my high school music teacher, Marshall Lynn Taylor, re-inspired me. Um, but of course, ultimately, my mother didn't say, you're going to be a composer. I made the decision, you know. Thank you. 
No, we were talking about um, film music not being today's classical music, that those things right. are completely separate. It's in a completely different direction. But to be honest with you today, uh, it's split into two different directions. There's the really good stuff and the really bad stuff. Ooh, interesting. Say more about that. Well, you know, you know, the thing is nowadays there's a lot of, and I, and this is one thing I'll agree with Peter is that there's a lot of generic sounds in film music. Um, now that's not all films. That's not, uh, particularly the case when it comes to, um, obviously John Williams, he is still the classic, um, Hans Zimmer, his music is pretty brilliant. It's not, you know, generic. He he creates light motifs, not quite the same way as John Williams. He's more minimalistic and more sound wise. Um, then there was James Horner, uh, rest rest in peace. You know, mm. he passed away um, less than a year ago. Um, he did kind of half and half with Avatar. Um, and of course he did ethnomusicological work exactly. when he did Titanic. So we have some really powerful music there, but then, and I'm not going to name names, but then we have like a generic sound like samples, taking samples and then just plugging it in there to make it sound mood music. And I don't hear leitmotifs in them, which develops with the character or plays with the action of the film. It just kind of is there, you know? And those are the ones, and those are the ones, honestly, are fading away after about a year or something. It'll have a hype and then it just fades away. But the really good stuff, will stick around like one really good one. And I wasn't too thrilled about the film. It was good visually and sound wise. It was brilliant, but the music was captivating is, um, is that, uh, Oh my God, I forgot the name. Uh, <laughs> uh Sandra Bullock film gravity. Gravity. That's it. Yes. Gravity. The, the soundtrack was brilliant and he actually won the Academy Awards and John Williams again, um, shook the guy's hand, but basically, this is brilliant. He did not have the full orchestra at the recording session at once. He had them in separate uh, points of them. And then they mixed it in the surround sound differently. And it moved around along with the sounds so that it would be like you're floating in space. Absolutely. Well, it's and it's much different when you hear a score, as you so rightly point out, that has been crafted by a musician in order to convey the narrative in an extra dimension right right if they're not doing that if they're just plugging in instrument banks or if they're just plugging in sort of generic music then you're, you're right there is a certain generic quality and yet real sound installation and sound uh -huh. design in film which you're also talking about and especially when it comes to spatialization and spatializing an orchestra um, that's a level of craftsmanship that is on par with contemporary classical music it's just yeah. simply in a completely different genre Right, right. Now, the thing is, sampling is definitely one thing that obviously goes to sound design, but sound design is a whole different art, whole different art. And you do have to have samples of sounds. I mean, um, one of the best um, sound designer ever is Ben Burt. You know, he's the one that did Star Wars. Very much so. He created Chewbacca. He created R2-D2. By the way, you know the story of how he created R2-D2? I want you to tell it. 
what Ben Burt wanted was he wanted R2-D2 to respond in a more humanized way, like C-3PO. But he couldn't get that with electronic sounds. So he recorded his own voice, uh, pitched it up, and speeded it up, and voila, you have R2-D2. And BB-8, although it's not Ben Burt himself that did it, he oversaw um, the new film. He didn't do the uh, all the sounds, but he just oversaw it. He's, he's, he's now the king, <laughs> so he oversees everyone else. But the, the new people that did it, did the exact same way for BB-8. fact that you also bring up as a composer endings because I think no other aspect of of contemporary music has changed more than the way that we end things and I think it's uh-huh. a real reflection on what it is to be a composer in the 21st century where you know we're we're not even sure how many universes we exist in you know mm-hmm. I mean we're really not sure there's no way to gauge anything anymore and so you know we're in the classical period a 5-1 you know cadence a, a, a proper uh-huh. ending with drums and cymbals and you know repeating uh-huh. chords and you know just big ginormous endings made so much sense and now we certainly uh, you know l- the language of music composition not so much in terms of instruments or harmonic languages the way that we've really altered our approach to music in the uh-huh. 21st century has been mostly timbral and structural and mm. we're exploring really fascinating new structures and i certainly see your music as a part of that as well um now because you're an active composer of film music and an active composer of chamber music um when you're setting out to compose a new piece what kinds of parameters do you set for yourself now what kinds of things motivate you how are you how do you become interested in new projects? Well, you know, um, and I haven't done very many film, but like the last film that I did was a short film. It's, you know, um, it was a friend's, Pete, uh, you know, film. 
and I uh, did the music on that, which I was very happy to do because of it's about fairy tales. Ooh. Always and, a and, I, and I really wanted to make it sound very fairy tale-ish. So when it comes to film and visuals, I know what to make it sound like because of it has to cater to it. And the light motif that I uh, created for that character, now the plot of the story is a young man, he's walking through the forest with a, um, a fairy tale book in his hand. And he's walking around, and as he's walking around, I created a light motif for him, hmm. being a very uh, innocent young man, okay, um, who has all these folk tales. And he sees the characters, and then he sees Father Santa or Father uh, Christmas, mm-hmm. um, and he sees all these characters. And at the end of the journey, he sees his mother sitting there at the um, at this um, bench. And his mother is dead, actually. Ooh. So he goes very, up very to his daily. to this late. He goes up to this lady. She disappears, and then the fairy princess appears. She just dis- well, she's dead. Right. And so, um, so basically, the fairy the princess comes and then hands him the book, the actual book that his mother used to read out of. And then oh, he wow. puts his head and he puts his head down onto her um, lap and just starts crying and then silently says, thank you. Mm. It's a very emotional story for him because of that young man is actually him. Of course. Um, um, him and his sister are my friends and, you know, they lost our mother and it was just beautiful. And I'm so glad that I participated in uh, this uh, project and, um, and I really wanted to cater to the film really well. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when it comes to my concert music, that's a little different. Okay. Uh, of course, it's the music that stands out. And I approach them all very differently. It depends on what inspires me. Sometimes I can't be inspired. I can't compose. It's just mm-hmm. I have to push it out of me. It's not like film music. I have to push it out of me. I have to know what I'm composing. And you recently I really started walking my – You just said know what I'm composing and you're, you broke up again. And it was so fantastic because it actually sounded like you were being delayed and reverbed on yourself. <laughs> so, oh, wow. And it, it was, it happened to be, I have to know what I'm composing. <laughs> so that was really brilliant. Anyway, pray continue. Okay. I just, yeah. Well, right. so, so you need to know what you're composing for concert right. music. Obviously you are, you're starting from nothing. I don't, right. I don't sit there in front of the piano. I actually... I walk around a lot. I mean, I walk, um, I drive. I actually think about music while I'm driving. Sure. Um, Sometimes when I'm laying in bed, things are going through my head. And then, you know, not sugar plums. (laughs) Not sugar plums. No, string quartets. String quartets, violin sonatas, exactly. And then I actually start a lot of times with the rhythm or a scale. I think of what's the best scale I could use to express what I want to do. And most of the time, it's not major or minor because I'm bored with them. Oh, sure. But I do use them still because they're still, you know, extensively used. Oh, I ain't dissing uh, on major and minor. You know, so 
you know, I'll still use them and I'll still write traditional music, you know, traditional harmony and everything. Cause there's, they, it's not reinventing the wheel as this one professor once said, <laughs> not my professor, but it's not reinventing the wheel. You have to, it's all about expression, self-expression. What are you expressing? What emotions are you expressing? Right. Who are you expressing it to? Are you expressing it to general audience? Are you expressing it to a particular person? Are you, um, Expressing to your to your dog or your to your cat, you know, right. are you expressing it to your parents? You, you know, you have to know all of these parameters before you start composing, because even though it's called sonata, there's a story there, right? And you know, the thing is, uh, my violin sonata is not called violin sonata; it's called gypsy sonata. There you go. Reason why I used the gypsy scale that Bartok had used. Ah. Another he used it in concerto. Oh yeah, um, he used it in concerto for orchestra and several of his other pieces. I can't remember which other pieces, but he doesn't use it in the traditional sense. He changes it around so that you can almost not hear it. I used it in a more traditional way because of I wanted the visuals and evoking of gypsies dancing because you know sure. the violin is kind of connected to gypsies very much so so i said i'm gonna write a piece that's virtuosic but yet had that has that gypsy sound and going a little back to uh franz list here <laughs> you know who we also hey. love i'm a pianist i got a love list whether i like oh, it or not his hungarian rhapsodies are absolutely geniuses you know, he was a genius, crazy man, but, you know, genius. but then again, which, who wasn't crazy? Exactly. I can only play like four of his pieces because my hands just aren't big enough. I'm just like, I am not graced with those hands. I do not attack his pieces. I cannot. I can't. Even yeah. though his sonata and B minor, uh, his, um, it's, it's, is it sonata and B minor? Yeah, sonata and B yeah. minor. The inner sonata, which I analyze like crazy. I can't play it. No, my hands just can't do it. I I don't have pianist hands. No, I don't either. And yet somehow I carve out a career for myself as a pianist. You I know, still have no idea how I do I that. I don't. You know, I I have the hands of a clarinetist. I don't really play it. I've played the clarinet. You know, I've played um a number of the instruments of the orchestra, and I do own the instruments because of as a composer you have to have it. But I can't play the clarinet. The thing is. You, it's the approach for every piece is going to be different. You know, it's just your inspiration, your influence is going to be different. You know, and I haven't actually composed traditional music in about a little over a year. The last two pieces I composed was my piano trio and a piece for clarinet and cello. And I just started writing a wind ensemble piece. Love and ensemble. Just both oh, for an. an um, it's not a traditional wind ensemble. It's just woodwinds, eight oh. woodwinds. Oh, you know, nice. hey, why not? And I just started writing a piece for uh, violin and piano, a very short piece. And I'm going to start writing one other piece that I want to write that I'm highly influenced on is the elements, fire, earth, fire, water. Air. So how might you? I mean, fire, earth, air, water. The Sort of the cardinal directions, also the sort of primordial elements. So how do you incorporate something like that into your piece? Very simple. And I'm glad that you and I are talking about because you'll understand it being with your background. What I have been doing in my pagan music research um, is 
uh, creating rituals with music, of course. How do you do with instruments? And I went back. Are you ready for this? Yes. Scott Cunningham. Remember Scott Cunningham? Yes, I He lived right there where you live, San Diego. His book, Wicca, Guide to the Solitary Practitioner, he has a whole section about musical instruments and how to use them. Oh, wow. Musical instruments all relate to an element. For example, earth is related to drums and wood instruments, wood wood type of instruments. Mm -hmm. Uh, Air is related to winds, obvious reasons why. Fire to string instruments. Oh, interesting classification. Because the string instrument, well, the thing is, think about it. String instruments are very passionate. Fire is passion. And also, think about how do you create fire? Friction. You take two sticks and Mm -hmm. you rub them. What do you do with a violin? You bow it. Friction. Passion. Mm. Fire. Nice. So the element of water, metal percussion instruments. Ooh, I like that. Because of the metal percussions like wind wind chimes and bells make the soothing sounds of water. Mm. Scott um, Cunningham wrote that in his book that everybody ignored. So I took that and I expanded on it and I did workshops on it and everything. And of course, people still to this day ignore me on it because of, you know, most pagans are too scared to play musical instruments that don't play musical instruments, Mm. you know, other than drums. I mean, let's let's face it. Most of them are scared to pick up a musical instrument because, you know, I'm not musically proficient. It's like, well, you can be if it's a simple instrument, but, you know. I actually did a public ritual at Pagan Pride using musical instruments in the four quarters, calling the elements. So my elemental callers, they weren't scared to play instruments, particularly because of the violinist played violin, actually, so he wasn't scared. But I got all the um, elements to play the instrument as they're calling in the elements. Ooh, beautiful. And they said, what do you want me to play? I go, anything. Improvise. Nice. Whatever comes to mind, you're calling in that element with their sound. So it's not about sitting down playing music with you know, notation and everything. It's about creating sound. Yeah. So I want to write a piece on the elements. Nice. Which actually goes back to... Um, John Williams. Now say, connect the dots for us. Okay. John Williams composed a bassoon concerto for the uh, um, New York Philharmonic. And he actually, his, it's called The Five Sacred Trees. And his influence is Robert Graves. Robert Graves, white goddess. That's our Bible. You know? And basically, he was writing about each movement is about one of the trees in the poetry. Okay. And he made the bassoon become the tree. Ooh. So I am going to make the instruments not become a tree, but become the elements. Oh, perfect. Wonderful metaphor. I've actually been wanting to do this for 
a little while now, but I wasn't sure exactly how I was going to compose it. Uh, but now I, I think it's starting to actually in the last few weeks, it's starting to motion for me to writing that piece. And that's going to be a more of a larger harmonically piece than what I've been composing in the last week. Uh, so that's going to take me a little while to compose. Thank you. 